God just threw me under the bus in the prayer by saying, speak through Ben. Nobody knew it was me until Sarah did that, threw me under the bus. But I appreciate her praying for me. That's really cool of her. Um, give the worship team some claps really quick while I struggle to open this, this bad boy. This bad boy takes my fingerprint. That is bad news. It's got my fingerprints. All right. Who's had a good week so far? Who's had a good week? There was not a lot of cheers for that. So we're, we're going to need some extended prayer time because not a lot of people have had good weeks, Pastor Brett. Um, but I see some new faces in here. So just real quick, let me introduce myself. My name is Ben. Uh, I have the honor and privilege of just being a leader in this group um, for a real long time, and it's been a real blessing on my life, and I'm so grateful for our pastors, Brett and Pastor Danielle over here. So give them a shout of praise real quick, but lift it up. There we go. All right. Very cool. So this week, we are in week two of a series we're calling the Book of Psalms. Who knows what the Book of Psalms is? Wow. He just read... The, the graphic. I mean, that's pretty close, yeah, but it is what is considered a poetic book in the, the scriptural canon, and that means it's also songs. Psalms are songs, right? So, in that nature, we're going to go through one of my favorite psalms tonight that's got me through a lot of hard times. We're going to kind of explain it verse by verse. Does that sound good? Ten four, good, buddy. All right, so if we could just throw that verse up there. We're going to go through Psalm one. 26 tonight. All right. So if you guys are there, if anybody wants to turn to it, if not, it's on the screen. So, oh, Brett's going get, to get the word, baby. Okay. Let me read this to us real quick. All right. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Wow. That's a lot in that. Let the glory fall, all right? There's some interesting, interesting verses in there, right? The first part, it talks about when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. If you've, you guys are in high school, right? We're in English class. The, the, the sentence there is looking at the past, right? When the Lord restored. It's commonly believed that this was written after exile, and it was probably written by Ezra or one of the Israel's prophets at that time. This one's not a psalm of David. I know we just came out of the whole series about David, but this one was likely not written about by him, but it speaks of a time looking backwards in the beginning. It goes into three different things that I want to break down, and it's kind of interesting. Think of, I know you guys are, are, just went to school all day, but think of it like a math problem, all right? Who likes math? Raise your hand. Yeah, not me. Not me in the slightest, but think of it like a math problem for the sake of this. So if we look up here, and we just look at verses, oh, there's no numbers on there, Okay, well, we'll look at verses 1 through 3. Um, they speak of three different things. What happened in verses 1 through 3, there is provision for, for dreams. Back then, the, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, there were those who dreamed. There were, was laughter and joy. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues were filled with joy. 
And then there was recognition of Yahweh. Who's Yahweh? God. So there was recognition of what God did in the past through, the, through that first three verses. Then we get to verse 4, which on there, verse 4, is restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. That's a weird like transition, right? We were just talking about the past, and then he says, the author says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Verse 4 starts a little transition where it's a plea in the middle of suffering. They were, they were prosperous in the past, and now the author is saying, look, restore us to that. Restore us to what we used to have. Restore us to the, the land of milk and honey, the promised land that we had. When times, get, times have fallen hard on Israel, it's been, it's been very difficult. And there's a weird analogy in here. He talks about restore us, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. The Negev is a desert, right? So in my 90% of the year, is just dirt and wasteland, and there's probably tumbleweeds rolling by, right? So he's saying restore us to when it's rainy. There, in the Negev, it gets rainy like two months out of the year, maybe, at the most. I was doing some research. But when it is rainy, there's these beautiful streams that flow through, and they nourish the land, and it, it's a source of life, right? All of the, the plants and the crops that they can eat grow in the rainy season. So the author is crying out, God, we're in the desert. We're in the middle of a really tough storm, and not with water. <laughs> we're, in, we're in a dry storm. It's getting crazy, right? But he's, he's begging, Lord, please restore us like the streams of the Negev. Let the rivers flow again. Let there be new life. And then it goes into another transition, right? Verse 5 and 6 are completely different. Verses 5 and 6 read, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. That's interesting. Tears doesn't sound fun. That does not sound fun at all. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy. There's, sometime, there's some important aspects of this passage I think we often miss. Sometimes when we get in the season of really, really tough things, when we're, we're just going through it, right? We're, maybe there's literal tears, or in this case, maybe there's figure, figurative tears. Like, we're just really going through it. We're down in the dumps. That's when Scripture says to sow the seed. Right? That's a little confusing. Why, why would we go do that when, when times are really bad, when we're going through some really hard times. Why would that be the time to go sow seed? And I think we can look at the verbiage of how the author wrote this. In here he says, let's see, where is it on the big screen? He says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev, those who sow. That's an active verb for our, our English, English majors in here. Those who sow. Not those who pray and go sit on the couch and eat a bag of potato chips, Right? Those, those who sow through the struggle. Then it, go, it goes on to even go even further, and it said, those who go out weeping. That's interesting. It doesn't, it doesn't say those who, who sit and weep. It, it says those who go out weeping. Going out requires action, right? Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow. Why is it 
that the Bible tells us that in the midst of the toughest times, that's when we go out. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Or does it? I think there's a few things that we can learn from this. The first is just a challenge to our comfortability. Right? I think so often, especially now, and this might get a little bit tough, but we get so comfortable when we're going through a tough time because it's, it's a little bit easier to get sympathy in that time. And I've been there. I've been in those shoes where it's a little bit, people recognize me when I'm going through something, right? People will talk to me and they'll ask me how I'm doing if, I'm, if I present myself to be down and in the dumps. So it's a little bit more comfortable sometimes, which seems like it would be the opposite. If you think you're going through such a hard time, it wouldn't be comfortable. But I think sometimes, myself included, it, it becomes a spot of comfort. And what that does is it puts us in the opposite of what the Scripture tells us to do. The Scripture tells us to plant and to go out in those times. And I think oftentimes we catch ourselves going inward rather than going out. While this isn't easy, I know it's, I know it's super difficult. The Scripture right here says it carries a reward. The reward is those who go out and do these will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out and sow seed while they're weeping will come back carrying sheaves with them. Does anybody know what a sheave is? It's just like a bundle of stuff. Like a, in this, it's probably like grain or something, sheaves of grain. So when they'd go out weeping and they'd sow their seeds, they'd be working so hard and they'd be, be crying doing it because times are so rough. Or maybe it's for us, it's, it's a little different. Maybe it's going to school and just giving our all. We're sowing good seed. We're going, even though times are so tough, we're going to church and we're, we're acting the same at church as we are at school or vice versa. We're acting the same at school that we, than we do at church. Those are things that we can do to sow good seed, even when it hurts, right? It challenges our comfortability and it gets us out doing things. The scripture says that when we buckle down in times of struggle and anguish, that that's when you will reap a reward of joy, our vision cannot be so, so near, nearsighted if we look at verses 1 through 3. It can't be so nearsighted that we forget what God has already done for us, right? The first three verses are all the author is talking about is the past. We can't get so focused on the present that we forgot what God already did, right? But then, at the same time, we can't, if we look at verses 5 and 6, we can't get so focused on the present that we just stop believing God will do it again. So there's a weird paradox there, right? We can't get stuck looking in the past or thinking that, oh, God, you did it then, but you're never going to set me free from that again. And we can't get stuck in the middle and just go inward and just, just pray about it and just leave it there, right? But we also can't forget that, hey, God's the, the same God that did it the first time could do it again, Right? And that's what the author is saying in here. He's saying those who go out with tears, who go out even when it's so hard, will reap with songs of joy, right? So what is the, what is the theme that this psalm covers? What is the most, if you read through that, what is the thing that you would get the most? Well, I can tell you what word was used pretty frequently, and that's joy, there's six verses in here. There's no numbers on there, but I promise you there's only six of them. And joy is used four times in six verses, which is 
a lot of the times in ancient Hebrew writing, when they would write the same word, especially after a sentence, it means like extreme emphasis on this. Like that's what they're trying to get you to read. The author is trying to, in, in this case, a psalm, a little song, what he's trying to get his audience to hear is joy. That's the kind of hot word or whatever you would call it to get your SEO or SEO better on Google nowadays. That's the word that he wants you to read. So he uses joy. In verse 1 through 3, joy is remembered. Right? There's an interesting twist here. In verses 1 through 3, joy was something he remembered. Oh, I remember when God did that and we were joyful. We were joyful when everything was perfect. Right? And there's an interesting change in verses 5 or 4 and si- 4 through 6, 1 through 3 and then 4 through 6, it switches completely to joy anticipated. Right? Joy remembered. I remember when God did it. And then in the middle of the psalm, it switches, and it goes to joy anticipated. So what does that mean? That means that the joy completely switches, right? Even in the hard times, the joy goes from God did it then to I know, he, I know he's going to do it again. And I know there's joy on the other side of this deep, deep struggle, so that's why I'm going to go out and sow this seed. That's why I'm going to go out and give my all. That's why I'm going to go to church even when it hurts. That's why I'm going to be a good friend to this person even after they hurt me. Right? Sowing that good seed even when it hurts is so crucial. So how does this tie to the New Testament? Brett's been kind of doing this in the last few few series we've been doing where he would talk about this and he goes, how does this relate to the New Testament and Jesus specifically, Right? In this, in the, for them, for the original audience, this was probably tied really closely to the messianic prophecy. So they were probably thinking, this is all, the, the new joy that's supposed to come is supposed to be this savior, and then we'll be joyful again once this guy who comes and sets us all free, right? And our land will be restored, and we'll have an eternal king and all this stuff. And then we get the privilege of seeing that happen. Jesus did come, right? So what they were expecting to happen, we live in a time where it did happen. But what does that mean for us? We're like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Jesus came. And not to belittle that, that's the most important, that's the foundation of our entire faith is Jesus came and died on the cross for us, right? But now it seems like the, the original intent of that might have already been done, right? Maybe. But what I would say is now Jesus already already came and he seemingly fulfilled that aspect of the prophecy. But for us, it means, hey, Jesus is coming back one day. We have the joy of the Lord that is our strength right now and he brought that he brought when he came and died for us on the cross. But now we get double the hype, right? They were just believing for, for this Messiah to come, and restore joy, and restore Israel, and now he already did that, so we get the joy of that. We get the joy that Jesus is our strength, and now we get the joy of being like, and he's coming again, right? And he's going to do it twice. We can now look forward to Jesus's glorious second coming, even with tears in our eyes. We could still feel the eternal joy that the Lord 
forever gives us. So what are the takeaways? I'm not preaching super, super long because I know Pastor Brett's going to come up and do a song in a few minutes. So we're just going to kind of have a time of response where we can just think about what all this means for us. But before that, I got a few things that I think we can take away. So the first one we can put up there, it's a little bit silly, right? This isn't God's first rodeo, right? We can read the first three verses. That, Simon's cringing, but it's okay. I'll let it slide. We can, look at the, we can look at the first three verses of that, and we can see, hey, God provided before. The author is saying, restore to us from what you already did. So it's proof that he did it. We have the unique advantage than those who first heard this, though. Like I said, Jesus, right? We have, we have an eternal joy even when we're going through it simply because he came and died for us. One interesting thing that I wanted to add here on the sake of like remembering what God has already done for you is it's found all throughout the Old Testament. I have a few examples that I thought would be good because Pastor Brett's already preached about them. But the first example would be Jacob. In the Old Testament, Jacob would go around and he built altars, right? And why did he build the altar? The most, the one that comes to mind immediately is after Jacob wrestled with God, he built an altar at that place. And then every time he was in that place, what did he do? He remembered, right? He wrestled with God and he built an altar so every time he came back to that spot, no matter how far away or how lost he got, he came back and said, God, you did it before. We did it here before, right? The other real notable one that came to mind was Joshua. A lot of people don't, don't like, think about this, but did you guys know that, that God parted the seas twice? Once for Moses, once for Joshua. When the, the Israelites were going, they were in the wilderness, and they were about to cross into the promised land, the same thing happens for Joshua, just on a little bit smaller scale. They crossed the Jordan instead of the sea, right? But the same thing happens. The, the water parts across the river. There's nobody chasing them this time, but the water parts, and they walk through on dry land. They get to the other side, and Joshua says, give me 12 stones, one for each tribe, and go put them in there. What was that? It was a monument. It was to remember that, hey, God got me through this before, and those 12 stones will be there as a, as a source of rem reminding us that, hey, God's already done it. So I wonder maybe for us, it, and it's not always good to dwell on the past, right? But I think it is important that we build some monuments in our life. Hey, my, God changed my life at Winter Retreat this year. I don't want to ever forget that. Maybe it's, maybe it's just like writing a note. Hey, this is when this happened. So when you look back, you go back to that and you're like, oh, yeah. Hey, God did it in the past. God, restore, restore me to how that was. Do something even greater, right? I think we could do that. That would be really cool. <clears throat> like I said, dwelling on the past isn't always beneficial, but it is important to create monuments of where we saw God move so we never forget that he did it in the past. This isn't his first rodeo, as cringe as that is, right? He's done it before. The second one I have is sow good seed 
even when it hurts. We can't get so comfortable that in the struggle, we forget to sow. That even in the toughest times, we go and we hide in a corner and we forget that, hey, we still have a part to play in this, right? We can get good grades. We can work hard. We can be kind to those around us and share our faith with others. But we can't just do that. We can't do that by just praying about it and then I'm going to, all right, God, you do the work, right? Even when it's so hard for us, we got to go out and we got to sow good seed. Raise your hand if you're at the one night conference this week. I know there was a few of us that went on Saturday. The rest of you are fake. It's okay, but we'll talk about that later. But Elliot said something that was really funny, but it was also super true. Uh, Pastor Elliot said, don't just, don't just talk about it, be about it, Right? And that's like a funny thing that we say, like, not at church. Like, if you're just talking to your friends, you're like, oh, yeah, you're all talk, man. You're all talk. Just be about it. Actually prove it, right? But that same concept is, is valid here. Even in the toughest times, don't just talk about it. Don't just, oh, I'll pray about it and chill. Be about it. Go and do those things, right? And I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to any of you guys. This is something for all of us. None of us are probably better than the other. Sowing good seed means doing things with the right intentions. It means doing these things not, not so others look at us and think, wow, they're doing great. It's doing these things because we know they're right. Even when it hurts. Even when it, it makes no sense. Even when it doesn't sound like any fun. Doing those things because it's the right thing to do. Sowing good seed means being the same person at school as you are at church. I already said that one. But that one's really important. That was one of my biggest things. Also didn't go to public school, but don't worry about that. I, I was homeschooled. So for me, it was, it was sports. I would act like a different kid when I was with my hockey teammates than I would at church. And I grew up in church. I, I've been in this church since I was zero years old. I'm not kidding. My dad's laughing back there. I've been causing a lot of mayhem for a lot of years. But sowing good seed means being the same, being a man or a woman of integrity, right? Sowing good seed means reading your Bible and spending time with Jesus. I spend the, the most beneficial time is reading the word, is praying, is just sitting in God's presence. Brett says it all the time, but just it's simple. Prayer changes things, right? I can't change. There's a lot of scenarios in my life that I can't change. I'm not going to go out and just, oh, if I do this better, my whole life's going to flip around. Oftentimes, I need help of somebody a lot stronger than me, right? Sowing good seed is clinging tight to Jesus and continuing to work hard even when it hurts and doesn't make a lot of sense. And there's a lot of times like that. The reward is coming. The reward is eternal communion with God and a joy that is unshakable. I don't know about you guys, but, but I'm willing to go through a lot of suffering if that's my reward. Not to say it should be for a certain reward. If all Jesus did was die on the cross for us and never did anything else, that's all he did, that would be more than enough. Right? Right? 
So the least we can do in response to that is sow good seeds even when it hurts. So as I close and as Brett gets ready to just kind of lead us through a, one of our Proverbs of the week and then sing us a little, little jig, um, <laughs> remember that God's done it before. This isn't his, his first rodeo and it's not his last, right? He, he's on the circuit. He's on the rodeo circuit. He, he's he's going to do it again, right? Let joy remembered be a source of joy anticipated and joy in the present. God has done it before. I know he'll do it in the future. So, God, I'm just going to worship you right now. I'm going to cut the middleman, and I'm just going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep sowing. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep praying for that person. This doesn't discount the suffering, and I know it's super hard, but what it does do is it gives purpose to it. My, my, one of my biggest pet peeves in the world is doing things without a purpose. Like, I'm at work, and I'm like, literally, why am I doing this? Because I don't feel like there's a purpose to certain things, right? But if we view suffering like this, it gives it a purpose. It's for an eternal purpose, an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't want to suffer and plant seeds through my tears and through my pain if there's no, no point to it. It doesn't make it any more fun, but it does help me understand that, hey, these tears are temporary. God's done it before. I don't see it right now, but I know he'll do it in the future. Right? That's about all I got. Uh, I'd love to pray really quick, and then I'll just pass it over to, to Pastor Brett. So if you could all just bow our heads, just close our eyes real quick. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, and we just thank you for, first of all, getting us all to here tonight to hear your word and just be in fellowship with each other. God, I pray that you would just give us all the courage and the strength to sow seeds even through the tears, even when life gets really hard, I pray that you would just give us the strength and the wisdom to press into you and to continue to work through it. Jesus, I pray that you get everybody through the rest of the week safe. God, that you get us all home safe tonight. Bless whatever food we have to our bodies. In Jesus' name. Amen.